Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cricket Ultras. This is Arun Sidharman, joined from, I think, Singapore. You're back in Singapore, Darren Burns. I am back in Singapore after a summer of cricket in Australia. Hello, everybody. Fantastic. Hello. I don't have any intros this week, I'm afraid, this month, whatever we call these episodes. Um, And also from his office in Hong Kong, Toby Doman. Hello. Good morning. I'm just jealous that Darren's able to travel out of Fortress Asia, but here we are in Hong Kong, loving life. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. Someone mentioned Hong Kong was like the fortress of Hong Kong the other day, and I thought they meant the electronics store. <laughs> <laughs> niche joke. <laughs> niche, very niche joke. Very All niche. right, <clears throat> we got a lot of cricket to talk about, I think. Let's start with The Ashes, a series that takes place, I believe, every 18 months between England and Australia and recently concluded with a resounding victory for Australia. I'm not sure anyone called this to quite the extent it turned out. Um, Very positive for Australia, very negative for England. Uh, So let's start with Australia, shall we? Darren, you 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 were there. I don't know if you actually went to any matches, but you were in the country. What did you make of it all? Unfortunately, it was sort of, it, it felt like a, a comfortable return to form for Australia. I mean, I think people, a lot of sort of fans had hoped that Australia would do very well. And of course, they did do very well. And it could have been 5-0 quite easily. I think it was a bit of a boring series, if I'm honest. There were very few contentious sessions. You know, in that last in that last test in Hobart, it looked like at one point England might steal that game. And everyone's kind of hoping for that. Well, I was at least to them to finish on a higher note. But, you know, what I think we, we talked about earlier in that the change of captaincy from Tim Payne to Pat Cummins seemed seemed to go very well, right? There were, there were no issues there at all. It actually probably helped Australia, I think, to get that monkey off its back in a way. So, you know, Pat Cummins, I thought, did a really good job. You know, the bowlers were great as usual. And then I think for Australia's point of view, it's the unsung heroes maybe that stepped up. So Travis Head, Usman Khawaja, some of the other players stepped up to the bat when people were talking about Warner and Smith and Labuschagne, who, who had mediocre series. They were not bad, but it was really those sort of second fiddle players, you would, you would say, that really stood up as well. So it was a good all-round performance from Australia. I think England will go back, you know, I'm not sure what they can take away from the series. I mean, I kind of felt sorry for them that, you know, their, their preparation was ruined by the rain in Brisbane. They didn't really have a warm-up hit. They were in the bubble and a lot of restrictions for the best part of two months. And I, I kind of felt for them towards the end there. Uh, you know, a long tour to Australia under COVID conditions and, and not a very good result. I mean, there's not much to take away at all, I wouldn't have thought. Except for Mark Wood. Mark Wood's become a bit of a cult hero, I think, in Australia at the moment. He was fantastic, I thought. But yeah, it was a pretty, pretty, pretty average performance from England. Yeah, I think England, I mean, we, uh, there's so much to discuss. It seems with England, there's been all sorts of introspection and... You know, the kind of thing that happens with, with English cricket. It seems to be a an inquiry, a review every generation into uh, into the, the failings of the test team. I thought for Australia, like you said, Pat Cummins really took to the captaincy well. There were some really nice touches. The, the um, you know, stopping spraying champagne so that Usman Khawaja could be involved. He stopped Nathan Lyon singing the Australian team song when they were in a bar. I saw that video as well because uh, I guess he felt it wasn't the right thing. We haven't talked about Graham Thorpe, by the way. We, we probably do need to, to make a special mention of Thorpey, um, who's 
you know, commitment to uh, multimedia content um, extended to uh, naming everyone uh, as the police turned up to put a stop to their all-night drinking session. Tremendous work, but maybe we'll get back to him in a bit. Let's stick to the actual cricket for now. Toby, it feels like England really only had themselves to blame, right? They, they apparently had been planning for this series for two years. Everything was geared up to it. And they turned up and didn't appear to have a plan at all. Yeah, where do you start? I mean, I, I feel a bit Jeffrey Boycott about all this. I'm, I'm, I'm not happy, but it's, it's not just down to the players. I think. Ah, but where do we start? I think let's start with the pitch. And you're absolutely right. I, I, the first ball of the series sets a tone, right? You, you think all the way back to 2005, Justin Langer being hit on the arm by Steve Harmison, same bowler in the next series in return in Australia, doesn't hit the cut strip and pouched by Flintoff at the first slip, first ball of this. Series at the Gabbo, Rory Burns bowled around his legs by a swinging. If you, if you listen to Warn, it wasn't swinging, half but volley. someone said it half volley. It was a, a half volley, let's say. Legside half volley <laughs> that I think my mother could have tooked away with stick rhubarb. Uh, it was, um, you know, it sets the tone. And England didn't recover from that. Burns didn't recover from that. And you talked about planning at the top of the piece. You know, Chris Silverwoods has been talking a big game about, yes, we're planning for this. This is the pinnacle. I think England should stop seeing the ashes of the pinnacle because it wasn't competitive at all. And congratulations to Australia, of course. I think they played some really good cricket at times, but they were not tested. And I think England possibly made them look better than they are at the moment as a yardstick of how, how the test side is going in Australia. I think it's probably not a great measure. England were desperately poor throughout mainly, but a few bright spots. Um, you know, the form of Joe Root kind of carried some of the batting, but he's coming in at sort of 10 for three, every every innings, you know, he can't carry the side. I was just looking, you know, I love a stat. I've got a stat for you. It's the biggest difference between top the top two run scorers in a test year is that in this year, so Joe Root scoring uh, 1,708 runs and Rory Burns only 530, the next best, the differential, 1,178. Isn't, isn't extras? Extras is a... Extra should get a central contract, actually, I think. Yeah. Number four or something, isn't it? Number three. A solid number four. But before that, it was Viv Richards and Roy Fredericks in 1976 with only 800 different. So a huge chasm in terms of the ability to deal with test batting. And I think, uh, Darren, you mentioned Mark Wood as a, as a bright spot. You know, he literally shed blood for the cause. I saw him cut his leg, I think, at the SCG and, oh, at the MCG and was still steaming in and, and, and putting his heart into it. So... Look, I think there's, there, there will be hand-wringing in an inquest and it's not just the players, it's the system. And all these ex-players have been presenting these wonderful manifestos in the media about my 10-point plan for county cricket and Rob Key's 10-point plan for the future of English cricket. I think it needs root and branch change. And Tom Harrison, the chief executive of the ECB, seems to think that he's the man to do it despite being in charge for seven years uh, and being in control of the plan. So we'll see what happens. What I love when an England tour descends into a certain level of farce, the media just becomes increasingly rabid and you get all the stories about all night drinking sessions, drinking culture. It wasn't that bad. I saw that they had a few bottles no. of James Bogues on the table and a cigar. I mean, it was hardly Vegas. And uh... Oh, no, no one. I don't think, I mean, no one in their right mind should begrudge the players a night out. You know that match finishes at like midnight. They don't. They don't really get out. It's it's a day night test match, right? Yeah. They've had a an arduous tour. I, I think the big the big issue really was 
Graham Thorpe deciding to video it, <laughs> yeah, but then sending the video, <laughs> yeah. sending it to someone who immediately leaked it. He's got to be gone. To the Sydney Morning Herald. I mean... And also he's the batting coach. And he's the batting coach. He wasn't exactly, you know, he, was, he his report card wasn't all, you know, looking good to begin with. Yeah. Um, and, no. you know, naming every player, it's just... He's gone. I think he wants out anyway. I think he's looking for a county a county uh, berth. And this is another problem. This is for a whole other podcast, but the, the, the chummy nature of coaching in the England setup, power players, they want this, they want that. No one's there to stand up for them, uh, to them. Sorry, Chris Silverwood. It was a bit like uh, when England football team, you know, uh, I think we had Steve McLaren famously would call all of the, of the players by their nicknames. You know, uh, Wayne Rooney was Wazza and John Terry was JT. It's all too matey. No one's going to tell them you need to you need to improve this area or this area. And thought many of the batsmen, sorry, batters, apologies, uh, regressed in their in their skill set over this series, and that has to lie squarely on the batting coaches. They're talking about Ricky Ponting being the perfect, you know, pull their bootstraps up and give them some tough love. You know, I would love to see that. I don't think the ECB can afford to pay him what he would ask to do that job play for the old, uh, to coach the old enemy but there needs to be a, a huge change in attitude it kind of feels like they need a justin langer type when justin langer started someone who's going to bring in a lot of discipline and be a, kind of a hard ass i mean if you think about fitness as well i mean ollie robinson he in his second and third spell he would slow down to like 125 and he'd look sharp a, in his opening yeah, spell big, he'd look sharp unit. yeah he, he's, he's a big unit but he'd look sharp and he was moving the ball he looked quite threatening then in his second and third spells he'd slow down like I don't know if that's a long-term fitness issue or just a fitness issue in general. But you know what we will say, this: there was two day-night tests and the wickets were quite spicy and they offered, most wickets except for the SCG, offered a lot of movement and a lot of swing for both, both bowling teams. Uh, Australia just acquitted themselves a bit better, but the bowling for England wasn't too bad. It was really the batting that just nobody could stand up on that top three. It's all, yeah, it's always the batting at the moment. It's been a long decline if you think about it for England. The batting has really fallen off over the last few years there aren't you know and we've discussed this before it doesn't seem like the county game is producing uh the kind of batters who can succeed at test level you know they really are rory burns is by far and away the best opener in county cricket he averages about 45 and yet he's had a disastrous basically two years of test cricket there's something wrong everyone has been tried right ollie pope can't buy a run zach crawley did well at the end yeah uh zach crawley looks okay you know, they've had to go back to... What happened David to Sibbers? What's, going, what's, what's wrong with Sibbers? Well, Sibley, he, he failed so badly. You know, they, they, they took him out of the firing line. They, they're running out of players, basically, and there aren't many other contenders. So, you, And you can see why with the county game, the way it's shoehorned into the calendar. You know, the new calendar came out, came out, I think, just this week or last week. Bring in Darren Stevens, I say. For this summer. Bring in um, Daz. Stevens going to get you. Bring in the Daz. going to get you. Interestingly, the person in charge of, of scheduling at the ECBs, I think his name is Neil Snowball. Um, yes. <laughs> so, you know, you could say that they, they haven't got a snowball's chance in hell of oh, getting this right. Very good. Yeah, boom, yeah. Boom. So I was waiting for that yeah. one. <laughs> You've been practicing that for weeks. <laughs> I think there's been, I, interestingly, I thought that this format issue, just a final word on the format, I think that there's been a little intra, intra format almost war of words going on because people have been blaming the short form game. You know, IPL is to blame. Uh, the hundred, the hundred. Yeah. Someone described the hundred beautifully. I can't remember who it was. As um, as a Doberman sprawled across the sofa of the fixture list. You know, it sort of just sits there and won't move, and you can't shift it. And so, you know, 
people blaming it, but Owen Morgan stepped in to say that it's preposterous. You know, he's sort of protecting his own fiefdom now. So it's interesting. There's a little bit of civil war going on about formats, but I think it's 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 dressage. I think there are much more serious issues at play that need to be addressed. And, and it goes all the way to just involvement in the game, right? This is not a game that's growing in terms of playing numbers in, in England. And, and there needs to be, a, a re, like you say, a, a kind of root and branch review of everything that, that everything involving cricket in England it seems because if the way it's going it does you know with, with cricket not on free to air tv as well it does feel like the game you know is facing some something of a crisis maybe that overplays the situation somewhat I just wanted to come back to um some of the you know talked about Chris Silverwood I don't know how long he's been in the job now is it a year is it two years it's kind of uh, pan- two, two, pandemic yeah. time you know, he's been very unimpressive throughout. Um, the interviews he gave in Australia were just so weird, right? When After they'd been hammered and he, he was kind of talking about they'd taken some real positives out of the game. But the thinking, you know, from the from the English coaching setup was just so muddled throughout, you know, not just in this series, but throughout this year and last year. I mean, I think a perfect example was the first test here where they they didn't play, you know, Anderson and Broad on on a pitch where they, they probably would have prospered. Then they dropped a spinner, right? Yeah, it was a game where, where Warner scored ninety, right? Where you know Stuart Broad has been his nemesis at every other Test match. He basically dismissed him. So yeah, it was yeah, muddled they thinking. Didn't play a spinner yeah. on a pitch where Dar- where what's his name? Sorry, Nathan Lyon. Lyon took five wickets. Darren Lyon. Just they just seem to get they just seem to overthink everything and get all of the the sort of little decisions wrong as well. So. Is Chris Silverwood still there? Yeah, he's out of his depth. I think I think uh, that's been said by many former England captains, which is unusual, you know, to criticise the coach, basically not up to it. Well, it's not just Silverwood, it's Root as well. I think his captaincy has really been exposed. It's been poor, yeah. And also, and it, you know, that's another question. Is the captaincy still his? Who do you turn to? No, no one is going to get uh, a game, apart from Stokes. <laughs> Playing devil's advocate, I mean, you could say... The captaincy's bad, but these guys are professional cricketers and they're not scoring runs. I mean, at the end of the day, batting is an individual sport. When you go out and bat, it's not about what the captain's been saying or the coach, it's about you scoring runs, right? Now, whether you have the culture to do that is one thing. If you think about openers, these guys who average at test level, 30 runs, right? 29 or 30, that's not that's not a test level batter, right? It's not. You know, the best batters are averaging 40, 50, 45, 50 plus, right? Over a long period of time, you're not going to win too many series averaging that. And it just doesn't seem to be a go-forward plan, particularly with with the batting. So, you know, you, you get these dobbly nip-around nip pitches in England early in the season where guys like Darren Stevens or whatever, you know, bowl mid-120s get a lot of wickets because the ball's seeming and swimming. And swinging. You don't get those conditions in other places, right? Yeah, you get the trundlers. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right, Darren. You know, you, you, can, you can blame the captaincy, blame the coaching, but ultimately, if you don't have a, a batting unit, you're not going to win test matches. But where, where are they learning these skills? And there's, there's an interesting little side story about uh, England trying to negotiate with Cricket Australia to see if they can uh, allow more English players to be represented in Shield matches. Now, that doesn't happen. I know Mason Crane was like the last English player to bowl the bowl for New South Wales. Why would they? It's more competitive. There are six sides in that competition. There are 18 counties. There's too much flab that needs to be cut. I, if I was Cricket Australia, why would I do that? Now, a lot of Aussies play county cricket and it suits them because they get used to some of those nibbly conditions, as you said, Darren. 
But you've got to start somewhere. And I think going abroad to find yourself in different conditions consistently, not just as, as an 18, 17, 18 year old at Rod Marsh's Academy, you've got to be doing it consistently in the off season, but everyone wants to play IPL or Big Bash or whatever in the Caribbean. So there's just too much distraction going on now. Yeah, it's almost like it's not worth, I think in a way, if you're a young cricketer now, maybe they just figure it's not worth being a, a long format player. Oh, for sure. It's, be it's better to, you know, I, th I think that we, we sort of don't often talk about that, but people go into the short format. I mean, they could be playing red ball, but they decide to go into the shorter format. They don't, they don't think it's worth their fitness, worthwhile mon monetarily, right? It's better to be in the short format, right? We've seen several players do that. In England, we've seen, we've seen young players who've, who've really just started focusing on, you know, franchise cricket. I don't know if someone like Liam Livingston maybe is potentially an, an example of that. Although I, I actually don't think he'd necessarily be a bad shout at this point. The test team. <laughs> try everything like try, but they tried Finch. They tried Aaron Finch a couple of years ago in the test team. That didn't go very well. Well, it's like when they when they brought in Jason Roy as well. For, yeah, I mean that's. Test team. I mean it's like Joss Butler. Joss Butler has proven that he's not a test batter. You know he he should focus on short format, right? Whereas Johnny Besto, I think I think Johnny Besto looked quite, uh, and he has done well in Australia previously. So another another perplexing decision that that they went to such lengths to bring Butler into the team, which kind of really weakened. Besto's position and and his batting fell away. Before that, he'd had, he had a really good record, and then you know his batting fell away. He got dropped, and, and England ended up with the worst of of both worlds. Right? They had, you know, Butler wasn't isn't good enough as a batsman. Um, although I think Root really relies on him as a as a vice captain. Apparently, Root's batting average is really increases when Butler is in the team, uh, and then Besto's batting fe fell away, and, and so he lost out both ways. But it, it does feel like, I mean, the, the conventional wisdom has always been that, you know, there's only really three teams in the world where you, you know, that can kind of afford to play test cricket, you know, the, the big three, England, uh, India and Australia. It becomes problematic if, if England stops being one of those teams where players are, are thinking maybe, we, we you know, test cricket, is it really worth it? We can just play franchises all year round. We see that from so many other players from other countries, right? We're starting to see it with uh, Sri Lankan players now as well, which we can talk about later on. But yeah, so lo lo lots of issues for for England beyond just um, the Graham Thorpe situation. It was all played in a lovely spirit, though, I have to say. It's quite quite refreshing to see It was a bit too mixing. friendly, if you ask me. Uh, but, yeah. Well, because it was uncompetitive. I think if it was competitive, <laughs> there would have been some needle, but um, it was quite nice to see a bit of banter between players and it wasn't, you know, nasty. And I guess you want a bit of needle sometimes in the best best sense of the word. But I think Australia were grateful that England came. They realised that there's a, it's not an ideal situation and it's tough. So I think there was a bit of give and take this time. And I think that was kind of good to see in the current state of affairs globally. But I think you're right, Tobes. I think it, things were going so well for Australia. There's, there was no need for the needle and nickel. But yeah, things had turned. The, it was more competitive. Than we've maybe. seen when, when India's toured. Return to form. Yeah, we've seen when <laughs> India's toured. There's been a lot of needle. I think when when the Australian team is, is more under pressure, it will definitely, you know, any team it comes out. So we, got, we, we probably should move on because we are, we are. We've got twenty minutes or so left. Just, to, I just want to say really quickly. Really happy for Usman Kawaja. Um, he's been through a lot. He's, uh, you know, he's kind of been in the. T I mean, I don't know how many comebacks he's made to the Australian team, and you know, twin hundreds, fantastic. Even if he does nothing else now, you know, he'll always have that. So it's I admit that I did have a tear in my eye when he scored his hundred at the SCG. I was watching it on TV. 
And uh, it was just such a great redemption story. You really felt for him that, you know, he was sort of this guy who's been a bit sidelined for whatever reason, for whatever he might've said in the test, <laughs> right? Um, but he's been outspoken and he, you know, to see his wife and his family in the stands watching him, it was just such an emotional moment, I think, for him. And to do it twice in a test match, right? To, to score two hundreds in the test, it was pretty amazing. It was amazing. Okay, let's move on. India versus South Africa. So it's quite interesting, quite interesting. We went from a situation where we were asking, how did South Africa win the last two test matches? Now the question is, how the hell did India win the first test? <laughs> they have lost every single match since. They haven't won a match in uh, 2022. Meanwhile, South Africa resurgent, despite losing so many giants of the South African team over the last few years. No one really gave them a chance when India turned up. India won the first test quite comfortably. Second test, South Africa needed 240-odd to win. And at that point, you're thinking, well, India's got this series. They're just going to unleash Boomer and Shami, and that's that. But, I mean, to their credit, to their enormous credit, South Africa... Uh, delivered a, a you know a superb run chase. Um, Dean Elgar, Keegan Peterson, who really I think was the the find of the series for South Africa. Just tremendous performance by the young man in in I think it was his first Test series. South Africa won the second Test. The third Test proceeded along pretty similar lines to the second, although South Africa had a, had a lower run chase in the final innings and. And they got through it really easily. Rassi van der Dussen as well was, was, was played very well. Really impressive. You know, just want to pick out a couple more South African players that I think uh, really stood up. Kagisa Rabada kind of woke up after the first test and, and was kind of unplayable in that last test. Really superb performance. Uh, Keegan Peterson, we've mentioned, he looks like he's got a long future ahead of him. Wonderful player, really, you know, technically correct. Superb temperament. I mean, to kind of be involved in these run chases against, you know, what was the number one test team in the world when you're playing your debut series is, is tremendous. Dean Elgar, I think, has performed really well as captain. Uh, and Marco Janssen, also making his debut, took to test cricket superbly. You know, first test, he was a little, looked to, you know, as you'd expect, probably a bit nervous. But by the second and third test, he was bowling beautifully. Uh, and let's not forget, Quinton de Kock retired <laughs> after the first test. He'd had enough of Test cricket. It's a team that's been in disarray, you know, in terms of governance. And and Mark Boucher is now facing a charge of gross misconduct. But yeah, just remarkable performance from South Africa and a huge opportunity missed for India to win its first series in South Africa. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know India had never won in South Africa. It's a big deal, I guess. Sorry, Darren, you're going to say. No, no, not at all. I mean, it also whitewashed in the ODIs too quite comprehensively as well. So, you know, losing all, you know, all six, well, five matches on the trot, very dominant from South Africa. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, the, it's partly it's down to the, the KL Rahul era, his, his record now as, uh, so he's, he's kind of the stand-in captain because Ro, Rohit, Rohit Sharma's injured. And so KL Rahul has been captaining the one-day team. And I mean, KL Rahul, he seems like a really nice guy. He's a wonderful batsman. I'm completely perplexed as to his captaincy credentials. I mean, Darren, you'll know that as Punjab Kings Eleven captain, he's he's really done nothing uh, of note, and his captaincy of the Indian Limited Overs team has been really uninspired, especially coming after 
Virat Kohli. Yeah, India, I mean, the problems for India are not that difficult to diagnose in the test, in the test arena. The middle order has not been functional now for a couple of years. You have Pujara and Rahane who are averaging in, you know, kind of in the twenties, I think, for the last two years. So they've, they've just been passengers. And then you have Kohli who uh, famously hasn't scored a century since 2019, although his average isn't that bad, but you, you kind of need Kohli to score centuries. So they've been totally reliant on the top order, the top two, uh, and the lower middle order to get the runs. That didn't happen to South Africa. South Africa were really good at blowing away the tail when they got them six down. India were playing uh, Ashwin at number seven, which is uh, at least one spot too high. They just weren't able to get the runs. And no matter how well in India bowl, and they, they do have a wonderful bowling uh, lineup, you know, even without Chadeja, without Siraj injured, um, you just can't win test matches without if, if you don't score the runs. S- similar issues in the, for the limited overs team. Middle order batting is really unsettled. They don't seem to know who to play. They've got Shreya Saya, they've got Surya Kumar, Yadav. Uh, they played Venkatesh Aya for a couple of matches. The bowling combination, again, they don't really seem to know who they want to bowl at which time. They missed Jadeja. They're missing Hardik Pandya. I mean, they've been a pretty average limited overs team for, for a couple of years now. So I was less surprised about that. I think it's more the test team. They need to get the batting lineup. I'm sure that's the last we've seen of Pujar and Rahane, but who knows? Mm. Yeah, maybe not. But, you know, I, th- I saw an interesting interview with Shoab Akhtar. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this interview with Shoab Akhtar. Uh, he, Is this he, about Kohli getting yeah, yeah, That's right, yeah. So he, he gave some great analysis and astute analysis after this. He was doing an interview wearing sunglasses in a dark room, which was very strange. Was he in a very tight T-shirt? He was in a very tight T-shirt with a yeah, kind of yeah, track jacket yeah. on. And he said, there's a lot of performance pressure on him, Virat Kohli. I wanted him to marry. After scoring 120 centuries, I wouldn't have got married had I been in his place. Anyway, that's his personal decision. <laughs> performance pressure, sorry, was this, this is on the pitch, right? We're not talking well, we about don't know. <laughs> it was very, yeah, it was very, it was very, uh, you know, who knows? Could have been a double entendre. Shoaib Akhtar is not the first person to remark that Kohli's relative decline as a batsman has coincided with his kind of, I guess, increasing happiness as a person. <laughs> you could probably plot that, plot that on the Matrix, right? Yeah, there may, there may be something to that. I don't know. He does seem less angry. I thought they, that whole stump like thing was a bit naff. I don't know what that was. Oh, that about. was yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. That was so embarrassing. I thought that was terrible. You could see Ra- 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 uh, Rahul Dravid was just sort of you know you could see him sort of squirming his way through that. I don't think he was one bit impressed. That was yeah. It was what was the stump? I, I missed the stump microphone. What happened? Did you miss that? Oh what wow, happened? that was it was special. Tobes, do you want to talk us through it? Or? Well, I think there've been some needle about some decision making. Uh, on the, on the review, the, the review system, yeah. and I think there was something to do with. Basically, Coley was suggesting, I believe, that you know some of the some of the angles were not observed by the the, the the match referee, and then decided to shout down the stump mic at the at the at the broadcast partner his views on on this particular practice, which which just looked terrible. He was bent double over the stumps, shouting, and this image sort of goes around the world. And that's like, well, he's very childish. I don't know whether he's stressed or he's trying to make a name for himself. He doesn't need to do any of this, but it was a bit weird. Oh, I think he's just hot. I think he's just hot-headed in the moment. I think he just gets in the moment. Right, Cole? I don't think he plans it. The passion. The Delhi Brat is not totally retired, but he just makes few, he makes fewer appearances these days. And it was also Rahul and Ashwin as well got involved. And I think... 
Ashwin said, Super Sport, find better ways to win. Which, I mean, Super Sport is not responsible for Hawkeye. Well, Super Sport is responsible for the Australian issue in 2019. If it wasn't for them, <laughs> would have got away with it. Yeah, yeah, amongst the players, there's definitely a view that Super Sport will go out of its way to, to highlight poor behaviour on the opposition team. But you, you just got to get on with it, man. It's just part of the game, isn't it? So this gives us a neat segue into Ultra Exits. Virat Kohli as India captain. It's all happened so quickly. I'm not sure any of us would have predicted three or four or five months ago that that today Virat Kohli is not captaining India in any format. You'd have to say it's related to the new regime at the BCCI, in particular, uh, Saurabh Ganguly. There appears to be no love lost between these two. There's been uh, statements and counter-statements and responses and briefings and sources close to the players saying one thing or another thing about who said what and who said it when and who retired and what kind of offers were made. It's It's... In a way, I think I've said it's great to see the drama back, but actually it's now becoming really unedifying. And you kind of do think it's not going to help Indian cricket because Kohli was a great unifying force with, with Shastri and, and it, was a, it was a really good era. And now he's gone, right? So obviously gave up the, what was it? He gave up the 20 over captaincy first. Then he got removed from the one day captaincy and then he quit the test captaincy quite dramatically. Actually, I don't think anyone expected that at all. So a new regime. And and now we wonder who will take over as test captain. I mean, Rohit Sharma is the obvious contender because he's, he will be limited over as captain, but he's 34, so he's not going to last what about Pant? very long. Yeah, I like Rishabh Pant. I would I would agree with that, Darren. If, I don't know if you're also a supporter of his claims to the throne. He seems to have matured a bit, right? And I think they maybe want to go with somebody that's going to be there for a while. Yeah, he seems to have... People seem to like his captaincy in the domestic game. Probably the Ricky Ponting connection doesn't hurt. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to see how he actually, how Coley goes just being a player in the team and how long he goes on for playing in the test matches, not being captain. I mean, I imagine that'd be quite difficult for him given his personality. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the limited overs matches, he's... Yeah, that's true. It's, he's still been, he's been muted, let's say. Definitely, he's been he's been more muted, and he's been fielding in the on the boundary as well, which has been interesting. K.L. Rahul banished him to to long on, which I thought was quite amusing. But he takes some blinding catches though out there. He's, he's such a good fielder. Yeah. So anyway, Rohit will I suspect will get the Test captaincy, but maybe Rishabh is the long term option. Jasper Bumrah was was the vice captain, the apprentice in in South Africa. Uh, so he's. He's got some claims. I think KL, the KL Rahul era is over now. That's what I'm hoping anyway. All right. So a few more things we should go through before we finish. Oh, let's start with Ultra Bad first. Anyone want to talk talk us through very quickly Brendan Taylor, the Brendan Taylor saga? Which uh, so any, Anyone familiar with this? Exploded yesterday? No, I'm afraid I'm not. Yeah. Cocaine and spot yeah. fixing. It's... Um... You know, former Zimbabwe skipper Brendan Taylor was approached in October 2019. He was conducted, conducted by the Indian businessman, of course. His name was John. No, it wasn't really John. It was always, there's always an Indian businessman. And I like the way they use businessman, right? He's a businessman. To discuss sponsorships and potential partnerships around T20, he was told that he'd get 15 grand for the journey. He went and met them. Apparently, they went out to have a big night. They did some coke. 
the guys took a video of him doing coke and whatever else and <laughs> stormed <laughs> and stormed into his room the next morning and threatened him to say that, you know, if you don't cooperate with us and do spot fixing, then, you know, we're going to release this video publicly. And so, if only uh, if only Graham Thorpe had been there, <laughs> you know, that that would have you know in his role as citizen journalist, this, this could have all have been avoided. Yeah, it's, it, we had drinks, and during the course of the evening, they openly offered me cocaine, which they themselves were taking, and I foolishly took the bait, as you do. So he stormed in his room. He apparently he took off back home for Zimbabwe. They gave him fifteen grand. They they promised him twenty grand later on, and he claims that this was a time when Zimbabwe stopped playing their players. So he needed the money. That is true. I think that's true, actually. Right. Um, and so yeah. now he's... But he took four months. He took four months, four months to exactly, report it. Which to report it. Is, look, we, we, all, we, we all have sympathy for him, I think. But, I mean, the rules are, are, are rules, unfortunately. Yeah. And then he's broken them. Because it's always the smaller countries, right, that are less well-paid and less money. They, they're more susceptible, obviously. I don't know if you read that there's a big Heath Shriek story um, in Wisdom Cricket Monthly. I think, is it? No, sorry, it's in the Crick Info magazine. Very, very interesting. Not, not a dissimilar situation, you know, no money. Um, and Heath Streak really has dedicated his life to Zimbabwe cricket. I mean, you know, he's kind of done everything he can to keep the game afloat there. But even he, even he fell prey to the, to the lures of bookmakers. Uh, there isn't much money in Zimbabwe cricket. And you can, you can kind of see these kinds of situations will recur. I guess they, they, they are uniquely vulnerable to this kind of thing, I suppose. Mm, indeed. Ultra good. Uh, I wanted to talk about a Sri Lankan cricketer, Banuka Rajapaksa, who has unretired, actually unresigned. He, he termed it a resignation from international cricket. Uh, he, he, he resigned from international cricket. Um, despite he fell out with Mickey Arthur, former head coach, who's who's left by the way, gone to Derbyshire, because he's kind of had enough, I guess. He fell out over fitness. It's not the first time this has happened in Sri Lankan cricket. But he came back, patched up his relationship with Arthur, got back into the team. But Sri Lanka has announced new fitness guidelines from 2022, which is kind of hilarious. Sri Lankan cricket's obsession with them. Um, ruling out players based on fitness. It just doesn't go down well with their players. Uh, and at which point, uh, Rajapaksa resigned again from cricket. But he he, un, he unre, unretired after the sports minister, uh, another Rajapaksa, although I don't believe they're retired, uh, warned him against coming to hasty decisions. Sounds like a threat. Surely not. <laughs> that would be a, that would be a, a first for the Sri Lankan government. Um, not not the only player. So Angela Pereira and Danushka Gunathilaka also uh, retired because of the fitness guidelines in Sri Lankan cricket. Um, so it's very interesting these new fitness guidelines. You, you wonder um, you wonder how onerous they are. I suppose. Get Ollie Robinson to go and spend some time with Colombo. <laughs> yeah, there's kind of a move to, to in some sports to get rid of these body fat tests, right? Because people, some people call them, you know, it's just kind of shaming, right? What is somebody, it? The skin fold. Wasn't skin there a fold. skin fold? Yeah, the skin fold test. Thing. Who got shamed? In the England team, someone got shamed. Yeah, it, must yeah, have been. it was uns, unspecified, but I think it might be Robinson because the co bowling coach John Lewis gave a very um, honest 
discussion about their chats about his fitness afterwards. So possibly him. So between the bowling coach and the batting coach and the England team, you kind of wonder who's more of a liability at this point. Jobs for the boys. Um, yeah. Sorry, Darren, you were saying. No, no, I think there's a move in a lot of Australian sports to get rid of that skinfold test. I mean, it, it does lead to apparently a lot of shaming in different levels of sport. Um, that people make fun of the person with the highest count, which doesn't necessarily reflect fitness. It's it's one it's one guideline, right? It's not the only thing, but that does lead to shaming of different people in the team and ostracized people being ostracized. So I think they're trying to sort of minimise that or do other tests instead. Certainly wasn't around in Inzamam's day, was it? No, this yeah, test. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sure. They need a skin fooled. Well, I mean, we were we were watching. I remember watching Elvis. Uh, the Sri Lanka Elvis bowl and, you know, in T20s and right up to the end, he had a massive gut, right? But he was still coming in, steaming down and getting a lot of wickets. So maybe it doesn't always matter. Yeah. I mean, has anyone seen Rohit Sharma recently? <laughs> He's, uh, you know, I, I, I do wonder about his fitness these days. I mean, he gets injured a lot too. I mean, this is an issue for the Indian captaincy as well. All right, cool. So... Uh, Yorkshire has appointed a new head coach in the shape of Otis Gibson. Toby, I don't know what you make of it all. There's been, I think Ryan Sidebottom was out there making some kind of regrettable comments. I don't know, is Darren Goff still around? I'm not entirely sure what's happening at Yorkshire. Goffy, yeah, there's so it's just uh, endless for Yorkshire. And, you know, this, this goes along. Our previous discussion about problems for English cricket more broadly, um, it plays into that more sort of sense of crisis, I think, because the DCMS, the Department for Culture, Media and Sport, have uh, basically ruled that cricket is institutionally racist based on their limited findings and that public money should be withheld from the sport unless it cleans its act up, which is obviously no good for pathways and free kits for kids and all this other debate that's been going on in the UK. Uh, this week. So dangerous times for English cricket if the government is starting to turn on. Um, Yorkshire, as you say, um, decided to replace uh, potentially, you know, institutionally racist uh, sort of coaching setup uh, with an individual who was part of the playing staff at the time of the potentially institutionally racist behaviour, which was a strange thing to do. And uh, Mr Sidebottom, I think most people are saying he has a good heart chose his words very carefully and then put his foot in it um, saying that you know we should forget about this issue and, and basically move on nothing to see here um, he was interim and and didn't last very long and so as you say uh, Otis Gibson um, has moved into the hot seat uh, for last uh, he's a good, good coach he's got a good pedigree um, uh, Beijing cricket coach and um, I think he's he's had uh, jobs with England as well so you know he's a journeyman he's been around and he, he knows what he's doing I'm sure he's had other countries as well if I'm not mistaken um West Ind sorry yes he's coached uh the West Indies and South Africa and he's been bowling yeah. coach hugely hugely uh um experienced guy so he's got a big job he's got to build a new coaching staff around him and and you know Yorkshire uh the threat of points being taken off them in next year's county championship hangs over them still and they are just on a PR offensive to try and just make things a bit better. And I think that I saw that they announced that they would be giving free cricket kits to children uh, in a sort of systematic way, which was applauded, obviously, and is the right thing to do. But now we're into this sort of atonement phase, possibly. But I still don't think this is the end of the story. I think other counties will be worried. Um, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, sure. Although uh, one of the things Azim Rafiq has said is that 
he's been contacted by so many players and ex-players, as you, as you would imagine. But many of them are are too scared to come forward because Azim Rafiq himself has received, you know, so much abuse and you know uh, death threats and all that kind of thing. So uh, I think there is, you know, there's, there's a lot of fear out there. Another thing that's interesting is, you know, there's always that saying: as as Yorkshire goes, so goes the uh, the England cricket team. Don't know if that's still the kind of thing that's in vogue these days, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a bit overblown, really. Yeah, but it is interesting because England, of course, have such huge problems. And another thing, another stat I just wanted to throw out about England is, so they haven't won a test match in Australia since, is it 2010? Sounds about right. It just shows the the uncompetitive nature of the... Australia struggle a bit more in England and vice versa in Australia. It's a, you know, it's not been competitive for actually quite a long time. Yeah, and Tom Tom Harrison says he's he's been unimpressed with uh, with what's happened. Um, Ashley Giles is still around. Chris Silverwood is not just coach, but he's also selector. A lot of people are saying Andrew Strauss should just take over the whole thing. Yeah, I think there needs to be, you know, Giles has appointed Silverwood. He's his man. He's given Silverwood more um, responsibility as a selector and a coach. So Ed Smith was removed and doubled down on Silverwood, who's who's shown that he's not able to deliver on that extra responsibility. So why Giles thinks that Silverwood going and he should carry on? He gave Giles himself gave quite a muddled interview to the Times, which is bizarre again whether they they believe their own their own words or what i don't understand but i think giles surely is untenable the wrong pick for silverwood silverwood has to go with him and andrew strauss seems to be the most sensible head around at the moment and and would would make a good fist of it but changing changing the guy at the top is not going to change not enough and i don't think there's an appetite to really go deeper into this and i think i'm afraid in two years time we'll be having the same conversation after a whitewash nearly yeah i do get the that that sense as well i have to say that that there will be a lot of a lot of talk maybe some deck chairs rearranged but the overall picture will remain the same we will see i guess um well, thank you all. Thank you all for listening. Thanks very much to Toby and Darren. Um, and we'll be back with our next episode soon.